I was traveling in the Holy Land with a couple of friends, and one of them complimented me on my homilies and asked about my preparation process, and I described it, and then I said, you know, I think, I think everything speaks of God, and I, I think I could make a homily using anything. And he said, oh, really? I said, yeah. He said, how would you have a homily using the McDonald's Big Mac? And without hesitation, I said, the three slices of bread represent the three persons of the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The two beef patties represent the two natures of Christ, human and divine. <laughs> Jesus taught using parables, that is, ordinary things and experience that his audience was familiar with. He would use those in a way to reveal deeper mysteries. And so our first parable today is the story of the wheat and the weeds, a farmer who plants seeds of wheat in his field, uh, an enemy who sows weeds among the wheat. And actually, this is something that could happen in ancient times. If a rival farmer wanted to ruin your crop, he would do just that. He would sneak in, he'd sprinkle these seeds of something called darnel, which actually, as it grows, begins to look like wheat until you can't tell until the ears come out. And if you just, if you harvest it and mix them together into the flour, it'll make you very sick. Now Jesus explains in private to his disciples the meaning of the parable that he is the one who sows the good seed, the field is the world, the enemy is the devil who sows bad seed, which, who are his children, that the goodness of the kingdom then exists alongside evil until the end of the age when there is a harvest, and that is the time when there will be the separation. The children of the kingdom will be glorified, whereas those, he says, who cause others to sin and evildoers will suffer. So one important uh, reason he teaches this parable is because many of the Jews expected that when the Messiah came to establish the kingdom of God, that immediately he would eliminate all evil. There would only be good left in the world. In fact, that's the reason that some Jews today do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. But Jesus told his disciples, no. There's this thing called the age. So far, it's nearly 2,000 years, right? During which, right, Jesus is sowing this good seed, but the enemy is still sowing his bad seed. So there's going to be this intermingling in the world, uh, even, even after the Messiah comes, right, of good and evil. Also, Jesus teaches some, gives us an idea, at least, of why it is that God doesn't simply eliminate all the evil right away. Uh, there's something that will be lost. The good could be harmed if, if the evil is prematurely rooted out. You might say to yourself, well, God, you know, why don't you just, um, you can eliminate all evil, right? You can take away free will. But what would that do? That would harm the very good, the free will, which allows for us to freely love and do, and do good. It is also a caution to his followers about um, trying to be too zealous about uprooting evil because they, they have to look ahead and see, will that maybe cause more harm? You know? uh, I think all of us could agree that Saddam Hussein was a terrible dictator, a, a, a bad man, he did bad things. Um, after the U.S. removed him from power, though, I think many would say that the situation for people in the Middle East became worse, not better. Certainly that's the view of Christians in the Middle East. God also permits evil to bring about a greater good. St. Thomas Aquinas gave the example 
of a tyrant who persecutes Christians, which you could think it's just a terrible thing. Why doesn't God stop it right away, right? But Aquinas said that, uh, and there's, of course, many examples in history, that uh, that evil, though, um, basically allows for Christians to be courageous and bear witness to Christ. That is the martyrdom and the confessors of the faith. That's one of the highest goods that has ever existed. And so we might say even that the presence of the weeds leads to stronger and more fruitful wheat. The second parable Jesus tells about the mustard seed that becomes this huge bush or tree is actually very simple to understand, and it has already been fulfilled. That is a reference to the kingdom as the church, the community of believers. It starts off as the smallest of seeds. So if you look in the book of Acts, you'll see that even after the resurrection, but before Pentecost, there were only 120 disciples of Jesus. How many are there now, right? So this little seed became this huge bush or tree. And Jesus says that the birds will find uh, refuge there. And this is an image of the church, right? So birds, uh, they build their nests in, in trees so that they can be protected, right? They, so they experience safety and refuge in the tree. And that's one of the images of the church, a place of safety against the corruption of the world. But then alongside that, we have to look at the third parable, which is the woman who is mixing yeast into the flour, right? And so what does the, the yeast do? It causes the whole batch to expand during cooking, to leaven, right? So this suggests a different image of the church, a, a church with a mission to influence all of society, even when her members are only a small part. A small group of faithful Christians makes everything and everyone around them better in some way, even if those people don't end up converting. We can feel overwhelmed by the evil in the world. What should we do? The first thing is to take care that our hearts are fertile ground for the seeds of the kingdom. And with God's help, we can tend the garden of our hearts and remove vices and grow in virtue. Second, I think, it's important for us to align our level of concern with our sphere of influence. What do I mean by that? So a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying and fretting about things that are happening on a big scale about which they have no ability to influence, right? Maybe you've done that before. Constantly reading news, getting all upset about it, you know, Instead, I mean, of course we should pray for those situations. Maybe we can influence in a small way. We can contribute to an organization that is uh, effective maybe in bringing about change. But we should give more of our time and energy within our sphere of influence, right? With our family, our friends, our coworkers, and our neighbors. And sometimes we may see, we may see them that they're very far from God and, and, and walking a good path. Uh, but we have to remember that they are not the enemy. Right? The devil is. In fact, they may be confused by the lies of the devil. And so our primary job, actually, is to help them see the truth. Some have a special calling, though, to engage in the fight on a bigger scale. We have one of our parishioners has a legal practice in which he uh, defends uh, people whose religious liberty has been infringed. Uh, their firm is currently representing a brave young woman named Chloe. When Chloe was only 13 years old, professionals lied to her about who she was. They told her that she was a boy when, in fact, 
Her body tells her God made her to be a girl. And so at 13, just after a meeting or two, they put her through these treatments, which have caused irrevocable harm. As a young woman, as she was studying uh, families in uh, college, and they talked about breastfeeding, actually, is when it really hit her what she had done, and she had deep regrets. And so this brave young woman now is bringing a lawsuit against those who led her down this dark path so that others won't follow the same path. Many have discerned a call to take more direct responsibility for the formation of their children, right? That's the core of your sphere of influence if you are parents. And rather than outsourcing 40 hours a week or more to public schools to form their children, they're, like, they're homeschooling. Many of our families are doing that. And I think every family needs to seriously consider alternatives to public schooling, to government-controlled education. And if you, that's your only option, then you're going to have to spend a lot of time helping correct the false worldview that your children are receiving in their schools. And while I'm on that subject, I'm going to hit another one that I like, which is giving devices and unsupervised access to the Internet to children. You need, really need to rethink that as well. Four, if we become just like the rest of the world, right, like the large batch of flour, from where will the leaven come? 